Hopefully, a lot of people are listening to this show today on the way home from work early because you quit your jobs and you just finished cleaning out your desks. Because if you listened to the program on Friday, you would have been able to do that when I told you to bet all of your money on Ray Lewis's Hall of, Hall of Fame speech going over 25 minutes. It comfortably hit at 33 plus. I made the bet. I made millions. But I lost all of it already because I immediately wired it to Ray to pay him to just shut up and stop talking to put me out of my misery. You can thank me later. Yep, Ray talked for 33 minutes. Of those 33 minutes, approximately 49 seconds was spent discussing the murder case he was involved in in Atlanta. Initially, he allotted two full minutes for discussion, but Ray struck a plea bargain with himself and shaved it down. Many laughed at Lewis because he worked himself into such a preacher from the Mount Lather that he sweated through his Hall of Fame gold jacket. Word is, after the ceremony, Ray just threw the suit away in a dumpster out of habit. I am Tim Benz. I'm in for Mark Madden. Lots of football talk coming up when Mark joins us in the 5 p.m. hour. Also, you're going to hear from Mason Rudolph, Steelers rookie quarterback at approximately 350. And you're going to hear from Matt Williamson, too, at about 430. I doubt Mark and Matt can stay for a full 33 minutes, but damn it, I'm going to try. We'll talk baseball, too, as the Pirates lost twice over the weekend to St. Louis, and Chris Archer wasn't very good in his Cardinals debut, or his debut against the Cardinals, rather, for the Pirates. And I was listening to the flagship station today, and they've already shifted topics from, isn't Chris Archer the greatest human being of all time, to, hey, if they get 84 wins and finish in third place and out of the wild card, that's okay, isn't it? Wow. If Jordan Luplo moved as fast as those goalposts did, maybe he would have beaten out that double play yesterday. The Browns made a trade. They dealt Corey Coleman to the Bills. He's the guy, Coleman, that dropped that easy pass last year at Heinz Field in the fourth quarter to seal Cleveland's 0-16 season. He was traded to Buffalo. They need receiving help. Really, they have for a long time now, ever since Stevie Johnson dropped that pass that would have beaten the Steelers in overtime. Then he blamed God for forsaking his hands. In the case of Coleman, who has broken his hand twice in two years, he could blame God for the same thing and actually have an argument. Well, hockey news, too, over the weekend. Whitehall's John Gibson signed a $50 million contract over the weekend to remain as the goalie of the Anaheim Ducks. He signed it on the day he was married. So maybe I should say congratulations to Mrs. Gibson for signing her $25 million contract instead. Either way, the Gibson family now owns all of Whitehall and Baldwin, and they have purchased the naming rights from that town up in the North Hills, and they have renamed their region New Gibsonia. Speaking of the Ducks, Ryan Kessler and uh, Ryan Johansson of Nashville, they hate each other. They challenged each other to a fight in a parking lot on Twitter. Word is they're going to start the fight, then two enforcers from each team will step in to finish. Now, to make the fight more exciting, NASCAR's commissioner, Brian Franz, is actually going to drunkenly drive through the parking lot while the brawl is going on. You know, like Gladiator, when they had the Tigers just randomly pop up? That's what Brian Franz is going to do. I I'm not kidding. If you missed this, the commissioner of NASCAR got popped for a DUI and possessing Oxy. Now, that's ironic on two levels. I never thought that a driving app where someone else picks you up should be a NASCAR sponsor. 
But after this news, I bet there's a number 0.8 Uber car in the next NASCAR race in Talladega or Daytona or wherever. And the second thing is, to me, it's ironic because I usually only use Oxy to dull the pain if I'm forced to watch NASCAR. But let's start with football. The Steelers' preseason starts on Thursday. I'll be on the pregame show on DVE and Mark Madden. Join me for our Madden Monday podcast over at Trib Live. You can get it on Breakfast with Ben's or my Twitter feed at Tim Ben's PGH. And Mark had a really interesting perspective on the upcoming Steelers season. Here, take a listen as to what he thinks about the Steelers coming up. Doesn't this have the feeling of a season that could go horribly awry? I'm not predicting that. But doesn't that potential seem to be lingering there? You know, with the levy on holdout again with A.B. being injured, with Juju being lit, with the defense not having solved its problems. They want to play safeties instead of linebackers, but we still don't even know who the safeties are. Doesn't this season seem to have a lot of bad potential? And, Tim, I just think their immaturity is going to catch up with them. I just look at at Bell. I look at Juju. I will say A.B. has come a long way, but uh, (laughs) if anybody has potential for a relapse, Tim, it's him. I just think it could go real bad. I, I just, I'm not predicting that. I, I think, though, I, I'm with you. I think at the very least they're going to be like a 10 or 11 win team and no better. Now, maybe that'll still get them to where they want to go, and they'll have to do it the hard way, but there's no way they're winning 13 games again. And what Mark is saying there, I agree with to a large degree. I have predicted for quite some time now that the Steelers would drop three games off their win projection from last year. Uh, or at least what they wound up with last year, which was 13 victories. I've got them pegged now for 10-6. and six. I think that'll still be good enough to win the AFC North. I think that'll still be good enough for a playoff spot, but probably not a bye, and I don't see them advancing to the AFC Championship again. Like Mark, I'm skeptical of the defense. I'm skeptical of their maturity, and I'm skeptical of the odds. Let's face it. The Steelers are due for a bit of a correction. We've heard that phrase quite a bit in baseball parlance with the Pirates this season. Uh, a great start, right? Like a surprisingly good start. Overcorrection, awful in the middle part of the season. Overcorrection, back the other way. 11 in a row, 17 out of 21. And now maybe falling back again, and they might find their level eventually over these last couple weeks, couple months of the season. Now, the Steelers won a ton of close games in walk-off or last-possession fashion last year. Baltimore at home, Cincy, Indy, Green Bay, Detroit, Cleveland twice. Uh, That's seven games right there I just rattled off without thinking hard. I'm probably missing a few more, but those games were all nail-biters and in a lot of cases against clubs that weren't as good as they were. An overcorrection is due. Let's erase that meaningless game against Cleveland at the end of the season and just focus on the other six. And we're talking about if they split those, as a for instance, that's three fewer wins. That's 10 and six. And that's what I'm pointing to. How about you? Preseason starts on Thursday. You've gotten a lot of attention and talk and discussion about the Steelers in non specific terms about what might get better and where they're plugging holes and where they still need to make improvements. And now you're actually going to see it crystallize. But as you get ready to watch them play for the first time, what do you think their regular season win total will be? Because you know it's not quite the same thing as baseball with Billy Bean, where he said there's randomness in October. But there is some randomness to the NFL playoffs as well. 
you got to get a good picture of yourself, though, over the 16-game season to get there, and where do you think the Steelers will be? I've got them losing three games off of last year. How about you? 412-333-9939, or tweet me at Tim Benz, PGH. Another reason I feel that way is injuries. Man, were the Steelers lucky with injuries last year. Ben stayed healthy. Bell stayed healthy. Brown stayed healthy until the New England game, then came back healthy enough to be good in the playoff loss. The O-line remained healthy for the most part, aside from a ding here or there at separate times to Foster and to Gilbert. And that is huge. That has always been a problem for the Steelers, keeping an offensive line healthy, but it's been that way largely for a couple years in a row now. That's tough to assume will be the case two years in a row. And frankly, in the case of Ben and Bell and A.B., what, three years in a row? Dating back a year before? If you're just going to assume that, boy, that's banking a lot on health for those star players. And they can't afford injuries to those guys. Because I don't think they've done enough to buttress the defense to get better to make up for any lull offensively. I posed this question in web form on Twitter, a little Twitter poll for you. And most of you actually disagree. Most of you think the Steelers will be better than that. Most of you are saying 11 or 12 wins. I slotted it in four different ways. I said 13 wins or more. Again, 11% of you agree there. Eight wins or fewer. Only 6% of you think they'll be that bad. But two-thirds of you, 63%, roughly two-thirds, are saying 11 or 12 wins for the Steelers, so you only see them dropping a game or two. And with the AFC stacking up in the manner that most people think that it will, I would imagine you're thinking then that the Steelers are probably, probably going to get the AFC championship in the North and go to the AFC title game, or at least get a bye to the AFC title game in the first round. Because you get 11 or 12 wins in the regular season, you're probably getting a bye in the AFC this year, don't you think? I do. I don't see a 11 or 12 win team having to play the extra game. An 11 or 12 win team, in my estimation, probably gets a bye, especially since I think we're going to see a little bit more parity this season in the AFC. But keep in mind, the Steelers have a lot of tough games in places where they often lose, and they need to be good early, or else they're going to have problems late. And being good early was kind of a problem for the Steelers if you flash back to last year. The loss to the Bears, the loss to the Jaguars, the struggles that they had in Game 1 against the Browns. So they got to be sharp out of the shoots, and a lot of that has to do with Le'Veon Bell coming back and being in better shape to do so this year as opposed to what he was last year. And it is funny. One thing I'm going to talk about in print in the Trib coming up, uh, maybe before, maybe after preseason game number one, we might get to it either today or Wednesday when I'm back in for Mark again, is about... The lack of three specific words at training camp this year. New England Patriots. No one is talking about the Patriots anymore. And you might think that's a good thing. After what Tomlin did looking ahead, after what Bell did looking ahead, you might think, okay, that's good that they're not talking about New England. I look at it from a different perspective. I think they know they're not close to as good as New England. And I think everybody in the media who's asking these guys questions realizes that they're not close to as good as New England, even if New England isn't as good as New England. Because let's face it, New England has fallen back. They're not going to have Edelman for four games. You know, they've got all the Kraft, Belichick, Brady stuff going on. 
Uh, we'll see how Gronk comes in, whether he's in shape or not. There's that concern. There's concerns about their defense, their defense up front. They lost Danny Amendola. The receivers are very much in a state of flux. So a lot of people think the Patriots are going to slip. But even if the Patriots slip, are they going to slip to the level of the Steelers? Can the Steelers catch him? I think the more prudent thing, and actually it's been talked about quite a bit up there at St. Vincent College, is no one's asking them this year, hey, what are you going to do about New England? like we did coming into 2017 after the loss to the Patriots in the previous AFC Championship game. If you're talking about anything outside of what's actually taking place on the practice fields, the questions have been, what happened against Jacksonville? Like, that's the team that everybody is talking about right now. How did that happen against Jacksonville, and how do you best equip yourself to not have that again? It's like the Patriots aren't even being talked about anymore. They've been pushed away. So I'm wondering if you hear that and know that and realize that, does that put in perspective where the Steelers are now as opposed to what we were thinking about them 12 months ago? So we'll talk about that. We can talk about the Hall of Fame speeches with Ray Lewis. Also want to get into some more baseball talk. Uh, we're going to play clips of Ray later on in the 3 o'clock hour and hear from quarterback Mason Rudolph too. 412-333-9939. Tim Benz in for Mark Madden on 105.9 The X. Now, the super genius, Mark Madden. How you doing today, honey? Really good, sweetheart. Borderline violent, very noisy. Absolutely beautiful. The X at 105.9. Look at this photo here of the Pirates going on their road trip, all decked out in NBA gear. What I'm really questioning is why Sean Rodriguez didn't wear Larry Kriskoiak's jersey. He's got three Ks in his name. Seems appropriate. Tim Ben's in for Mark Madden, brought to you by CW Electrical Services. Make the switch at CWElectricalServices.com. In just a little bit, Martavis Bryant is doing Martavis Bryant things in Oakland, and it's not the things that he did like against the Bengals catching the football between his legs. It's the other stuff, and he's already being called out for it. We'll get to that, but I posed the question before I went to commercial break uh, based on what you know about the Steelers to date are they, in fact, going to improve upon 13-3 and or even match 13-3 and a season ago? I don't think they will. The preseason starts on Thursday. I've got them at 10-6. and I've got them losing a couple games. Mark agreed with that. You heard it in the podcast that we did today over at Trib Live. We'll run it back for you in the 5 o'clock hour, so that's on the table. So are the Hall of Fame speeches and the Pirates' struggles over the weekend against the St. Louis Cardinals. Chris Archer's debut, too. You can talk about that as well. 412 412- 333-9939. Let's go to Clay, who is calling from Salzburg. Clay, you're on 105.9 The X. Hey, Tim. Appreciate the uh, call. Uh, I just wanted to get your thoughts on Brian Dawkins' Hall of Fame speech. I saw you were talking about Ray Lewis, and I just think uh, Brian Dawkins epitomized the preacher mentality and did a great job and especially talking about his depression and stuff. I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on it. I read about what he said. I didn't see it. You're talking about how he felt like he might want to commit suicide or something to that effect. He was so depressed because of, uh, was it concussion-related issues? Was that it? Yeah, I think it was a combination of that and then just things going on in his life. I think it was just awesome to see someone overcome so much adversity and have such a successful career. Did he do it in the self-aggrandizing way that Ray Lewis did to make it sound like God spoke through him to get him through his murder trial? Or was it a little uh, bit more genuine? 
It was a lot more genuine. You could definitely empathize for him, for sure. Yeah, I see. Then there is the exact difference. That's the major difference then. If you're actually... Look, I'm not a religious person to begin with, but if you are someone who is, and you need that sort of outside influence or you desire that sort of outside influence to pilot you through tough times, well, then so be it good for you. And if it keeps you on the straight and narrow, who am I to question? But when you're a guy like Ray Lewis, who was involved in a murder case... And you say things to the effect of, God gave me a family while he was part of something apparently that might have taken family members away from other people is not quite the same thing, is it? Nah, it seems a bit hypocritical if you ask me. Yeah, uh, that's that's sort of my point. Thanks for the call, Clay. 412-333-9939. And look, I'll, I'll be the first to admit it. If you don't like me bringing up sort of the relationship between religion and what these guys were talking about at the podium, then I want to hear from you, if you're somebody who's religious, what you thought when you heard that. Because to me, when you take a higher power and you make it suggested that you were the vessel of that higher power and that higher power touched you to the point that you chose number 52 because 5 plus 2 equals 7 and Seven is the number of the Lord. I mean, how egocentric is that? Again, I'm not the most religious person in the world, but I thought the whole nature of it was you gave yourself up to the higher power, not the higher power kowtowing to you to say, hey, take number 52 and you'll make it to the Hall of Fame. That's sort of backwards, isn't it? And sure, if you're somebody who thinks like you were going to go off the deep end, and for whatever reason, you needed spiritual guidance to get yourself back on the rails, like Brian Dawkins apparently was talking about, well, well great. Uh, I'm glad it worked out for you. If that's what you needed, you couldn't find it from within, and from the outside, you got religious influence, fantastic. But that's not what Ray was doing. Like Ray was doing this in sort of a pandering way. Look at me. Look at me. God found me better than he found all of you. That's the problem that I got. You can tweet me at Tim Benz, PGH. Okay, real quick here, because we went a little long in the open. Um, and I wanted to get to the Martavis Bryant stuff. If you didn't see this, it's it's just... I know a lot of you don't like John Gruden, but when you hear his assessment of Martavis Bryant, it makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? According to the Las Vegas Review-Journal, John Gruden is unhappy with Bryant's performance. Quote, he's got to get out here and play better. He's in competitive situations. A lot of other receivers have had nice camps. He's just got to learn the offense. He's got to stay out here. He's had some illnesses. He's got to get on the field. He's, not, he's got to master the offense and become more versatile, and that's the key to making this team better. So, hmm, Bryant missing practice time because of an unspecified illness, a failure to master the offense, a lack of versatility within his game. Does this ring any bells, Pittsburgh? And Gruden wasn't done. He goes on to say, Nothing is going to be given to anybody. It doesn't matter how you got here and what your history card says. We need everyone to understand the best players are going to play, and he's got to be more consistent, and I'm confident he will be. Well, why is Chucky confident of that? A lack of consistency? A sense of preordained privilege? Bryant needs to understand the best players are going to play? Like when he publicly pouted over Juju getting more stats than him a year ago? Why would he ever be confident that Martavis is going to change his spots in this context? Because he never has over four years thus far in the National Football League. 
Up next, you'll hear some of Ray and his speech from the Hall of Fame. Oh, it's priceless. Also, Mason Rudolph before the top of the hour, too. 105.9 The X. And now, the super genius, Mark Madden. Um, what do you think about the new... I can't remember what I called, sorry. Really? Awesome call! The X at 105.9. Baltimore. 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 Pittsburgh! 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 Did, did Myron do something like that during that speech he had? Pittsburgh! Did he just like kind of go on for 15 consecutive seconds saying the name of the city over and over again? Like, if he's looking to trim, if he's trying to get the fat out of the speech, like, there's 15 seconds right there he could have done without. Tim Ben's in for Mark Madden. Uh, all right, so here are some highlights from the Ray Lewis speech. 33 minutes. I told you, bet whatever you can find on the over. The over was a comically low 23 to 25 minutes. What, are you kidding me? 23 to 25 minutes for Ray? That didn't have a prayer. Like, that was one where, sort of like if you're the anthem singer at the Super Bowl, don't you know what it's going to be? Don't you know what it's going to be, and then you just bet on yourself to go the over or the under, and you just screw with the whole... Obviously, that's what you, that's what I would do. I'd have somebody else make the bet on my behalf right before and just throw the whole thing out of whack. But come on, there was no way. He, he wasn't done saying Baltimore before he was 25 minutes in. Okay, so I, I got confused a couple times during the Ray Lewis speech. Like, well, here for instance. Crazy, right? Tell you about numbers, 5, 15, 75, right? I played 17 years. I go to the University of Miami, right? And I get, get signed one of the last scholarships ever given. Right? I didn't even have a scholarship. I wasn't even in the media guy. And the coach asked me, Randy Shannon asked me, what was the number you wanted? He said, the last numbers we got is these numbers. And I looked and those numbers was 5 and 2. And I said, give me that 52. He said, why you like 52? I said, because... B dog, that's God's number. That's completion. I played 17 years. I leave 17 years. I go play in Super Bowl 47. I get inducted to go into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, Super Bowl 52. Man, God, something else. Man, God, something else. God, something else. Numbers, numbers, numbers. You can play with numbers, but some numbers you can never change. The number I cared about was over 25 and a half. And I hit that right there. What was he talking about? What kind of math were they teaching at the University of Miami? Just because there's a 7 and 17 and a 7 and 47, is that what he meant there? And speaking of 17, you're trying to convince me that a 17 or 18-year-old kid reports to Coral Gables and says, hmm, the completion number for God is 7, so give me 52. Why didn't you just ask for 7? Was, was Craig Erickson still wearing it at the time? I kind of lost track of my Miami quarterbacks at that point. So anyway, like, we're talking about this. Bob and I are talking about this, finding all this sound from the Ray Lewis speech. And I had an aneurysm trying to figure out that, because on the X, we played this song over and over again during the morning show when we were doing the morning show together. I said, well, what was the song where it was, man is five, the devil is six, that must make, bloodhound gang, fire, water, burn. We, 
if we hadn't figured it out during the commercial break, I would have had a synapse misfire and my brain would have melted out of my ears. Like, I don't know the, the Pixies song. What's, what's it called again, Bob? What's the Pixies song in? This monkey's gone to heaven. Like, that one I knew about. But the Bloodhound Gang thing was, I, my brain physically hurt. Like, one of those moments where you could hear the lyric, but you couldn't think of the name of the band or the song. Like, I was cramping. It was so bad. But now we figured it out right before we came back on the air. And like, there's a weight that's been taken off my shoulders. Okay, so you didn't stop there, of course. We're not just with God told Ray what number to pick. We had to get to the murder thing at some point, right? So as I pointed out in the open of the show, he talks for 33 minutes and 39 or 40, is it 49? 49 seconds were spent on the murder situation. 49 seconds out of 33 plus minutes. Here it is. 1999, 1999-2001 may have been some of the darkest moments of my life. But I tell you something, when God says, can you hear me now? He sends you a family to make sure you're okay while you're going through what you're going through. What you did for me, what my Atlanta family did for me, Mona Lisa, listen to him. What y'all did for me, Steve Bashotti. What you believed in me, Michael Phelps. What? Michael Phelps. What? What? Michael Phelps is just looking at his face like, wait, how, how did I get brought into this? Dude, I just got DUIs. That, that's it. It's me and Brian France. I got nothing to do with the murder investigation, obstruction of justice. What are you doing bringing me into this? Like Phelps looked at it like you, the camera caught him. And I, did he know he was coming up after the murder investigation? Because he was sort of nodding his head like, okay, I see where he's going with this. I didn't. I didn't have any idea. What's he talking? His, his Atlanta family. His Atlanta family is his legal team. And the dry cleaners who got the blood out of the white suit. That was his, his Atlanta family. And I have no idea what he was talking about with Mona Lisa and giving the tip. I, I don't know what that means, and I don't want to go down that path. Okay, so that was, that was it, by the way. That was it for the murder thing. Oh, we've got explanation of the dancing, too. This is, this is what I was talking about, about self-aggrandizing religion. Here you go. People always talked about my dancing, right? And they always like to see Sugar hit that thing. Now, you know, you know, yeah, you know, Shay be calling that Sugar Run, and Sugar starts shaking on him, you know? <laughs> but you know when I found out uh, seriously though like as I started going and, and Harbs you remember this the conversation we had right because I didn't want the light to necessarily be on me because it wasn't really about me so Doc I was like figuring out same power you talking about so when I started coming out of the tunnel I wanted to really start to honor God so it was funny because when I went to the right right it was for the father uh -huh. when I came to the left it was for the son sure when was. I came back for the middle it was for the holy father's son all in one Oh, that was the combination. Oh, now I see. Now, after all these years, it makes sense. I love the fact that he says, I didn't want it to be about me. Dude, you had your own fireworks display. They put fireworks on either side of you specifically when you came out of the tunnel. If you didn't want it to be about you, then I don't know. Put yourself between Chris McAllister and Holote Nata in the introductions if you didn't want it to be about you. It was like there was a separate thing for Ray when he came on the field. 
What was she talking about? I didn't want it to be about me. When I danced to the right, it was for God, and for the left, it was for the Holy Spirit. Like, he came up with that eight seconds before he got on the podium. Who's he kidding here? Now, this is where it really got... If it hasn't been awkward enough for you, this is where it got awkward. The touches and the hugs and the kisses that I give you, I never had that. I never had a father physically touch me and tell me he loved me. That's why I hug you guys so much. That's why I'm still kissing you in the mouth. Yeah, I kiss all my kids in the mouth. Don't hate. Somewhere in Foxborough, Tom Brady's like, yeah, I don't have a problem with this. Uh, what's, what's weird about that? You know who found it weird? The kids. Did you see the cutaway of the kids? Like they kept shaking their heads. No, like, I don't know if they were saying no, it's not true or no, for God's sakes, don't talk about this out loud. I, I couldn't interpret that through the screenshot that I saw. And then the, 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 the pinnacle, the culmination was when he brought up the, the line in the jungle. Leave you with this last, with this last straw. Thank God. Dr. Miles Monroe compares leaders to the king of the jungle. He says, he says, the lion is not the tallest animal in the jungle. The lion is not the largest animal in the jungle. The lion is not the smartest nor the most intelligent animal in the jungle. And yet, when the lion shows up, he is king. <laughs> he is king. You don't need to be intelligent. You don't need to be smart. You don't need to have a certain height. You don't need to have a certain weight. You don't need to have any kind of advantage. And yet, you can be a leader. I, I swear he's going for coming to America, introducing sexual chocolate. I swear that's what he's going for, because that's all I could think of watching it. And the funniest take that I saw, and that actually, ironically, came from Deadspin, where they run that whole thing about the lion, and at the very end, they just say, lions do not live in a jungle. <laughs> lions live in the desert. Lions live in the open plains. Yeah, so Ray did not disappoint. And... Uh, I, I'm just going to make this point real quick. I'll wrap up here and then get to Mason Rudolph after the break. But isn't it just painful that you're watching the Hall of Fame ceremony and there's a belief out there, generally speaking, that the NFL just isn't likable enough as it is right now. Like the players aren't likable enough as it is. And I'm watching the Hall of Fame induction and it's Terrell Owens and Randy Moss and Brian Dawkins and Brian Urlacher and how the hell has Jerry Kramer not been put in before and Ray Lewis and talent-wise, that might be the best Hall of Fame induction class that I've ever seen and I didn't want to watch a minute of it. I know T.O. did his own thing, but that's sort of part of the point. Between Randy Moss and Terrell Owens and Ray Lewis, not only was it perhaps the most talented induction class of all time it was the most easily hateable induction class of all time and that's just because ray was a raven and i hated him from the steelers connection not just because randy moss you know went to the patriots and helped them become undefeated in the regular season and almost won a super bowl not because t.o well well t.o was t.o and t.o didn't really there was that one monday night game where he beat chad scott about 14 or 15 times so i don't really have like a personal dislike for t.o because of a steeler connection but just as the personalities, like, you can't even like the guys in the Hall of Fame anymore. I'm glad you can like Dawkins. Jerry Kramer should have been in eons ago. Brian Urlacher seems like a good enough guy, but those three just made it painful. Mason Rudolph, up next here on 105.9 The X. 
And now, the super genius, Mark Madden. Yeah, Mark, what do you say, buddy? Hi, buddy. Hey, Mr. Madden, how you doing? What, what if they wore assless chaps? Would that help at all? If they what? The X at 105.9. With the trade of Corey Coleman today by the Cleveland Browns to the Buffalo Bills, actually yesterday, the Browns have now given us the stat of the year for the National Football League, and the season hasn't even started yet. Seen this a couple times now. I'll read this one directly from ESPN. None of the Cleveland Browns' first round picks from 2012 through 2016 lasted more than three years with the team. They had eight of them Trent Richardson, Barcavius Mingo, Justin Gilbert, Danny Shelton, Cam Irving, Corey Coleman, Brandon Whedon, and Johnny Manziel. Six of them traded, two of them cut. Eight first-round picks from 2012 to 2016, none of them lasted three years with the team. And yet I'm still nervous about them beating the Steelers at some point this year. Why is that? Tim Benz in for Mark Madden. Mark talked about that. We'll play that cut for you again a little bit later on in the show. We're going to hear from Mark in his entirety coming up at uh, 5.30 or thereabouts as he joins us before we wrap up the program. But I had a chance up at training camp to talk with Mason Rudolph, the quarterback that the Steelers drafted out of Oklahoma State in the third round, about some of the struggles that he has had to date and some of the things he has done better of late to overcome them. By all accounts, Saturday's practice was Rudolph's best in a Steelers uniform. And he hit a couple of uh, nice passes in a two-minute drill, even scrambled for a little bit of yardage, which isn't exactly his forte. Previous to that, he's had the ball slip out of his hands a couple times. He's gotten some balls batted down at the line of scrimmage. It hasn't been all that smooth of a transition, at least until this weekend for Rudolph. Yet, he really seems to have things in perspective. Here's what the rookie quarterback had to say. The biggest adjustment you've found on the field and off the field thus far, college to pro? I'd say, you know, my probably first OTA practice, you could definitely see a little bit of a jump in, 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 in the speed of the game and, and uh, you know, the, the change of direction, the, the, you know, the, just the movements of the defensive players, you know, and being in their spots all the time, being in the right spot and, and just moving fast. But I'd say, you know, I'd say mentally for me it's been tough. Um, you know, just anytime any rookie comes in, it's going to be a little bit, you know, you're feeling, feeling a lot better now in, 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 in uh, regular training camp than, uh, rather than I was throughout OTAs. Just a lot more comfortable getting under center, I think. That was that was big, and I think I addressed that and kind of uh, had really cleaned up all the center quarterback exchange issues. We had a couple in, in um, you know in OTAs, and, and I'm just a lot more comfortable under center. Anything emotionally off the field? Any adjustments off the way from the practice field? Yeah, just saying, getting getting used to a new city, and and, and you know, hey, just just another chance to meet new guys, new teammates, bond with some dudes, and you know, receiver wise, you know, feel out. Obviously, I know what, what James can do, but. You got a bunch of rookie rookie receivers in there that I've been playing with, you know, throughout the preseason. So I want to be make sure I'm prepared, and and uh, so you're just kind of feeling out those connections, those guys, and they've done a great job. That we got a lot, of, a lot of great playmakers. James, still a comfort zone for you, almost? Is it a default still at this point for you? Yeah, for sure. You know, he's anytime he's on the field, you know, we're usually, you know, I'm not going to say we're designing the play to get to the get him the ball, but we're, you know, there's a there's a, there's an added, uh, you know. There's an, there's an added notion that hey let's let's get let's get 13 the ball and let him, let him go do what he does. I noticed a couple balls got batted down at the line yeah. of scrimmage. Is that what you're talking about? The quick twitch of the NFL players? Or are you talking about more change of direction in this? I'm talking about more DBs, linebackers. Okay. Um, let's say 
you know, that, that, that's, that's just a freak thing that happens every once in a while. That's never been a, a habit of mine. That's never They're happened just to bigger, me taller, more athletic getting up there? Or? Yeah, I think you just have days where that happens. I think there was days in college where guys would just time it up based on the stunt. You know, somebody's coming around the end and they, they see pass and instead of engaging the tackle, they just wait for the, to, to, to tap the ball. So uh, we've got some good D linemen that are, that are smart guys. Last thing, uh, you as a quarterback allow yourself, I think, to have a lot of a spotlight on you just naturally by nature of the position. Has that helped Edmonds? And Washington to a degree as well. You're a third-round pick. Those two guys are the first two-round picks, but a lot of us are talking to you. Fans are tracking you. Does that allow them to develop a little bit more uh, normally, naturally? Yeah, I think um, you know. I think those those two guys have been exposed a lot to the, to, to the spotlight. I think um, you know, not you know, not necessarily just because they're not a quarterback, but they, they've they've seen it. They've been through college. Terrell, big-time you know, uh, player for. Virginia Tech, even though we beat his team without him on it. Um, and then, uh, you know, obviously James. Does he remind you of that, that he oh, was I, not there? He does, but I, I told him it wouldn't have mattered. He would have just gotten beat a couple more times. So I'm going to put more points up now. But uh, he, he, he's a great player, and, and so is James, and they're, and they're used to the spotlight. That's just how it rolls. Yeah, there is a little cockiness to Mason Rudolph, and he lets it out from time to time. But for the most part, you know, I think he handles himself like a politician running for office for the fifth or sixth time. I mean, he's that poised and polished and uh, I do think he's going to be a real good quarterback someday I do endorse the pick even if it's not for this year but I do also see Landry Jones being the backup throughout this season they let Landry walk after this year they hand the reins over to Rudolph and then they make a decision on what to do with him after 2019 that's my best belief you can agree or disagree 412-333-9939 when we come back two significant questions to ask about Le'Veon Bell, and one to ask about Rudolph's partner in crime, James Washington, and why I think he needs to start taking on a bigger role ASAP with the Steelers in camp and into the preseason. That's next on 105.9 The X in just 30 seconds.